Good morning again, and as you saw, Kevin and Josie came in and just whispered to them that prayed for their family and and uh, just the peace of God's comfort to be over them. Amen. Amen. Uh, last Friday, I had a chance to substitute teach, and uh, when you substitute uh, little kids, it's always you're always going to find a sermon illustration in it. I'll just tell you that much. So it's it's the last day of the class. And I have a first grade class, and I'm coach. So we're outside, and and we're going to play tug of war. And I have 17 little kids, and one of the kids, he walks to the door, and he refuses to go out, and he starts crying uncontrollably. And he's afraid of the wind. Well, if you remember uh, Friday, it was windy out there, right? And he is just crying and crying, and all the kids, you know, are looking at him, and some of them are trying to comfort him, and others are like, what's the big deal, you know? And uh, he begged me to stay inside the room and not go out onto the field to play or do our warm-ups and, and do all that we're supposed to do. And I just said, look, I got 16 other kids that are going to be out there. I can't stay in here. And he's just crying. And I'm trying to console him. And I just said, kind of got down where I could see him eye to eye. And I said, listen, buddy. I didn't know his name. I said, listen, buddy. I said, I'm a lot bigger than you, aren't I? And he kind of, and I said, tell you what, I will hold your hand the entire time. <laughs> okay. And I said, and, and uh, you don't have to play tug of war. You can just hold my hand and, and help me teach. And uh, he kind of stopped his bad crying and just, just whimpered cry. And we walked out there and, and then when we were playing tug of war, he kind of got involved in the sense of watching all the kids. And I looked down and he wasn't crying anymore. But then when the tug of war stopped, he'd look at the wind and he'd start crying again. And, and that was 30 minutes of holding a sweaty kid's hand. But you know what? Uh, he was comforted and he was able to do it and he didn't have a meltdown. I didn't have to take him to the principal or the office or the nurse and all of that. And you're probably thinking, what in the world does this have to do with our text? Well, it has everything in the world to do with our text. Because most of us, when we grow up, we get over common fears, right? I mean, none of us are really afraid of the wind unless it's 100 miles an hour. If it bumps up to that, we get a little concerned. We don't like to drive in it. And then when it gets to tornado or hurricane strength, we definitely get afraid of the wind, don't we? Well, today's text is about an actual wind storm. It's a conjunction of two words, and it means a hurricane kind of thing. In fact, Matthew in his passage says that he uses the word seismus which basically means the entire Sea of Galilee was jumping up and down to describe the waves coming up because of the swells that were coming. And so um, in our text, though, uh, they're going to get caught. Jesus and the disciples are going to get caught in this windstorm. And, you know, since that time, every time we read this passage, because it's in three of the Gospels, every time we read a passage like this, we almost instantaneously understand that It's talking about the metaphors of life, right? That there are storms that come into people's lives and Jesus is going to be in the boat with them. But what they do or what they didn't do is going to be our text for today. And you can call them natural disasters because life just kind of happens like that, right? There is divorce. There is abuse. There is taxes. There is COVID-1984. There is 
problems, there are relationship issues, there are health issues, there is even death itself. And so there are massive storms in our life all the time. But that wasn't the way God actually designed our world. He did not say, I'm going to design a world with all this natural disasters. And no, you know the story. God's design was perfect and good until what we did. And in our rebellion, suddenly we entered into a new phase of the world. I mean, back in Genesis, in fact, I'll read it to you. It's creation, God said this, to Adam, you are to rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping, creeping thing that creeps on the earth. He gave us a dominion, but we lost that when we rebelled and suddenly we're no longer innocent and suddenly the usurper came along, didn't he? And then God cursed the ground and then all of creation, it says in Romans, eagerly awaits the redemption where it's gonna be like it was in its glory day. And so we, we start to understand that there are just things in life that aren't a cause because of our sin. It's not a consequence of sin. It may be the consequence of somebody else's sin, but basically life has storms in it. Life has trials in it. Now, the good news is this, even in the midst of the storms, guess who's holding your hand? Not a PE teacher. No, it, it's, it's Jesus. So you got your Bibles with you. Turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. As you know, we've been going through the gospel of, of Luke. And uh, we just so happen to be in chapter 8, verse 22. And I want you to hear this with fresh eyes, if you can use those two metaphors together, hear and eyes. But that happens a lot when he says, I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. I want you to hear it anew and afresh. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, Jesus, who spoke, fell asleep. And a windstorm, that's that conjunction of those two words, came down on the lake and they were filling with water. And guess what? They were in danger, real danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? Oh, and they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who? Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Kind of just unpack the text just a little bit. Jesus, we find out in the Matthew account, has just done the Sermon on the Mount. He's exhausted. It says, then later that day, then that day, you know, and so Jesus has been preaching, he's been healing, he's been doing all the things that he is known for. He's exhausted, kind of shows you his humanity. And yet you're going to see, you saw in the text his divinity as well. And then Mark tells us that it's nighttime. It's not during the day. It's one thing to be afraid of, of the wind during the day. No, I'm not afraid, but it's a little scarier thing to be afraid of the wind at night. I mean, most of the tornadoes that came through our little town in Missouri, they always came at night. And you never could see it coming. 
And so it's just like, but this is nighttime. And these guys are seasoned fishermen. They probably own the boat that they're in, so they're, they're familiar with the way it handles. So they're not like novices. They're not like, I don't know, inexperienced fishermen or this lake is new to them. They're totally aware of it. Now the Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long and about eight miles wide, but it's 685 feet below sea level. And then around the Sea of Galilee, two real high points, they're about 2,000 feet. So you can start to see the geography and start to understand how the weather patterns are going to work. The hot wind comes off of those hills, sweeps down across that cold water, and causes a lot of weather, bad weather, a lot of weather. And the boat was probably a small fishing craft, open, you know, no enclosure. And our text says that the waves were breaking into the boat. Now, if they're experienced fishermen, they're going to have a, a bucket, right? Yes, say, yeah, they, <laughs> Peter and John and James should know to have a bucket. Because what do you do with a bucket when your boat begins to swamp? You start bailing. And yet these guys, it says, are getting afraid and said, we are perishing. That is what they think in their mind. They're going to go down. They cannot keep up with the bailing. And there's more water coming in the boat than they're able to bail out of the boat. And yet Jesus is asleep. He's not disturbed by the, the noise. He's not disturbed by the water. He's not disturbed by the ruckus up and down of the boat. He is exhausted and he's asleep. And they got to go and wake him up. Now, in Mark's account, they actually use, he, he gives a little more fuller detail. They asked Jesus, don't you care about us? Don't you care that we're perishing? And like, wow, you know, aren't you, aren't you going to do something? Now, you got to give them kudos because at least they knew enough to go wake up Jesus, right? But how long did they wait before they went to Jesus? Ah, how many times do you wait before you go to Jesus? You're going to figure this out on your own. You got yourself into this mess. You're going to get yourself out of this mess. Or I don't want to bother Jesus. I don't want to bother the master. I don't, I, I can handle this. You know what the worst prayer is? I can handle this. You know what the best prayer is? Jesus, you can handle it. You can handle it, can't you? He can handle anything. And so they finally, you know, they, they finally figure it out. But it, it just begs the question, how long did they bail water? How long did they tread water? How long do you bail water? How long do you tread water? And, and I don't know what things, I, I, you know, it's so funny. Nobody has a perfect life. Can you say amen to that? If we were to take the time and unfold the layers of your life, you would see that, oh, there's an issue here, there's a storm here, you're treading water here, you're bailing water here, here, you've gone to Jesus, and you start seeing all this stuff because all of us go through storms. All of us have been through as a national storm right now. We're going through a storm. And I don't know why it takes so long to turn to Jesus. I don't know if that's just part of our training. We're Americans. We can do things by ourselves, right? as opposed to being humble. And even in the slightest thing, you're talking to your father about it. You're talking to Jesus about it. 
and you're saying, Lord, I know, I know you care about us. I'm not questioning whether you care about us or about me, but I'm seeking you first. I want you to catch the bigness of this miracle too. Jesus has healed the deaf, right? He's opened the eyes of the blind. He's, he said, be clean, and the demons left. He said, be clean, and the leprosy goes. He's raising people from the dead. And yet, these guys are blown away when he commands the weather. Now, you'd be blown away too, right? I don't know why we separate it out, but it's just, ah, yeah, Jesus can do that. Jesus can do that. Jesus, oh, Jesus can't control the weather. Nobody can control the weather. That's climate change. No, sorry. I just had to throw that in there. But you know what I'm saying? Suddenly, they are blown away by the magnitude of this because no one has ever commanded the weather and the weather changed instantaneously. He rebuked the wind, and in another passage, a parallel passage, he said, be still, or literally be muzzled. The same thing he tells Satan or the demons when he expels them from someone, he says, be muzzled, be gone. That's why some scholars think that this was actually an attempt of Satan to try to kill Jesus before he got to the cross. Because Jesus is totally asleep. He's unaware. That's his humanity. He doesn't know that he may be in a spiritual battle right now. And when he wakes up, he sizes everything up and says, oh, this isn't an issue. I know where this is coming from. Be muzzled. Why would you tell the wind to be muzzled the same way you tell a demon, be muzzled? But that's what he says. He says, be muzzled. Now, whether Satan was the cause of the storm or whether it was just the natural phenomenon of a storm itself, Jesus is demonstrating that he has power over both. Hallelujah. Praise God. He's the sustainer and creator of creation. The physical universe responds to his commands. And these guys are totally blown away. In another passage, Mark and Matthew, he asks this question, why are you afraid? And, and you go, well, well, that's because I'm a realist. I, under, I see all the water swamping and, and I'm experienced fisherman and I know, I know how life works. I'm, I'm educated. I've gone to university. I, and, and Jesus is saying, no, why are you afraid? Because they have seen Jesus' power demonstrated. Water into wine. People being healed. And yet Jesus says, where's your focus? Why are you afraid? It's the same question I asked the little boy. Why are you afraid? The wind! That's what they were looking at. They weren't looking at Jesus. They were looking at their, at their storm, right? I don't, but they had nowhere else to turn, so they turned to Jesus, right? Now, I love that Jesus didn't berate them in, in this way. He didn't say, how could you allow this to happen to you? Does he ever do that to you when you find yourself in a storm? How, how dare you? Or don't you know better? He doesn't scold them for the storm or the swamping. He doesn't scold you for your situation, your health issues, you, the things that are going on. He doesn't scold us, but he does ask us, why are we afraid? And that connects fear 
to faith. I want you to see that. That when we have faith, the fear goes away. But when we're focused on fear, it overwhelms our faith. And that's not the way we're supposed to live. Am I right? We're supposed to walk by faith, but sometimes we let our realistic way of viewing life preclude that there's no way God's going to be able to fix this storm. How many times have you said that to yourself? There's no way God's going to fix this storm, and then he fixes the storm, right? Shouldn't that bolster our faith? Shouldn't that build our faith? Don't you believe me? Don't you believe in my power? You made me Lord of your life. Don't you trust me to take care of you? And if the storm does sink you, you're on your way to heaven. I mean, that's the reality of it all. And that's why most Christians are walking by faith are not afraid of a pandemic, right? They're just not. What's the worst thing that can happen to you? Now, I'm not saying that Ghibli or Ghibli or whatever the word is. I'm being honestly and serious about that. If you think death is the worst thing to happen to you, you don't understand Scripture. It's not the worst thing that can happen to you. And so Jesus is like, hey, why are you upset? Why are you afraid? Why are you focusing on the storm? And then he gets up and be still, be muzzled. Just incredible. Now, it could be that they're stinging a little bit. There's, there's three words in the Greek language to describe fear, kind of, in, in connection to all of this. Why are you afraid? The word afraid. And the word that is used here means that Jesus was calling them sissies. Yeah. He was saying, you guys are acting cowardly. You guys know better. And it's, it is a rebuke for sure. But sometimes we, get, we want to be far enough away that we want, don't want to hear that, that rebuke when God says, why are you afraid? Why are you being... Nobody likes to be called a sissy, right? Nobody likes to be called a coward. And, and nobody likes to say you have irrational fear like a little first grader. And he is gently rebuking them. And uh, it just stings a little when he calls us a sissy. Or at least he called them a sissy. And I think sometimes we need to hear that because that kind of puts in things perspective. You're being a baby about this, Tammy, Right? You're being a baby about this, Victoria. You're being a baby about this, Jada. Okay, I better pick on some men. You're being a baby about this, Pat. You're being a baby about this, Rob. Don't you know me? That's what Jesus is saying. Don't you trust me? Don't you realize there are storms all the time? And why are you afraid? Master, master, we are perishing. He awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, this is where it connects that fear to faith. In this passage, Luke records, where is your faith? So there's a few things that I have for fill in the blanks. 
Number one, you've, you might have heard these things before, but I want you to hear them again fresh. Here's the very first fill in the blank. There are going to be storms in our lives. Say amen. amen. Yes. If Satan threw this storm at Jesus, then he's going to throw some storms at you. You're going to be in spiritual battle. You might have been in spiritual battles this week. I know I was. Maybe you're going to be in a spiritual battle next week. Probably are. Because there are storms in our lives, and storms are a part of life. Do you notice that Jesus commanded them to get into the boat and go across the other side? So I want you to wrap your mind around this. They were obeying, and the storm still came right? They were with Jesus, rowing with Jesus, and the storm still came. They were smack dab exactly where God wanted them, and guess what happened? The storm still what? The storm still came. You're being obedient, and the storms still come. You're with Jesus, and the storms are still going to come. You're going to be smack dab in the middle of God's will and the storms are going to come. Whether they're of a demonic nature or whether they're just natural occurrences, storms are going to come because that's a part of the life. Jesus warned us and he said, you're going to have trouble in this world, right? How many of you have memorized that verse? Because it's a comfort. You're going to have trouble in this world, but what? Don't worry. I have what? I have overcome the world. And I love greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. And so our focus has to, we have to, we have to acknowledge, we come to Christ as it doesn't mean that uh, suddenly we have this posh, comfortable life. Life still goes on. Storms still are going to come. Storms can achieve purposes in our lives that can never be achieved unless a storm comes. Did you hear what I said? Okay. Let me say it again. Storms can achieve purposes in our lives that cannot be achieved unless a storm comes. We can call it suffering. We can call it pain. We can call it trials. Why does James say, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, right? Because that's the way it works. God causes a few things to work together for those that love him. All things. God causes all things to work together. You know, Jonah's storm brought him back to the Lord. Do you, do you realize that Paul's shipwreck brought him to a place where he could evangelize an entire uh, island? Peter's storm gave him a chance to walk on water. And the storm here gave the disciples to personally experience the power of God. Do you want to experience the power of God? You're not going to do it from your couch. Right? You're not going to do it from your couch. You're going to do it because you're walking through that narrow path, hitting that narrow gate, walking uphill to be in the presence of God. And guess what? Storms are going to come. And those storms are going to transform you. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces so many wonders. We'll look at that text in detail in just a second. And one other little caveat, don't judge somebody else's storm. Oh, they got a storm in their life. God must be doing something to them. Oh, ho, 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 ho. you better not go there. That's above your pay grade, right? That is above your pay grade. Second, 
Uh, well, should we go? I think I have a slide of Jay. Oh, you do. I did have a slide. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet very trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And in Bible study the other day, we said, you know what the next verse is? It says, and if you're lacking wisdom, ask God about it. See, if you don't understand the storm you're in, James tells us, then ask God about it and ask in faith. And he's going to tell you why you're in the storm or what you're supposed to learn in the storm. How many do you want to go through another storm to learn the lesson you forgot or the one you missed? I don't like to go through second grade. I went through it once. That's enough for me. But if I miss the principles of second grade, God's going to create a storm or allow a storm or going to use the opportunity that the devil is presenting to do something in me that can't be done without that suffering and without that trial, without that storm. Second principle is this. Jesus is with us and gives us his peace. Amen. Amen. It's so irrational, timid, and cowardly to be filled with fear. And we learn from our trials, but we're never alone. Jesus is with us and he gives us a peace. And you know, that peace that passes all understanding. Logically, it doesn't make sense. Logically, you should be upset. Logically, you should be freaking out. Logically, you should be crying. Logically, logically, logically. You can't look at it logically. You have to say the peace of God surpasses all understanding and Jesus comes and gives us this peace. That's that Philippians passage. We'll skip the next two ones, Heather, because it's just a long. But I want to get to the principle number three, and that is this. Faith or trust in Jesus is what calms us in the storms. It's not wishful thinking. It's not hopeful thinking. It's not the power of suggestion. It's not the prosperity gospel. It's not anything but putting your trust in Jesus to take care of you through the storms. Ah, this sounds, I don't want to sound calloused, and, and I'm not. I, I, I don't, I, I want to have empathy, but I know that God can carry you through anything. Are you with me on that? God can, he can carry you through any storm that you have. And, and I'm not saying that you don't deserve empathy. And we do empathize with our brothers and sisters. In fact, we're told to help shoulder the load if we can, but everybody has to carry their own backpack. But if we can help them with the big load, we can. We're to love one another. We're to care for one another. We're to comfort one another. But Jesus is the source of that peace. He's the source of that comfort. And he's the one and the only one that really calms us during the storm. Because faith in Jesus during the storm means you don't have any fear. That's the next slide. Faith in Jesus during the storm, you don't have to have fear. Now that doesn't mean that you're, you're comfortable. That doesn't mean you're, you don't have a hardship. That doesn't mean your body isn't racked with pain. That doesn't mean that you're frustrated because you're losing your mind. And I'm not being facetious. My mom, Alzheimer's, dementia, 
no longer who she is. And yet, you start singing a gospel song. Boy, she could remember that. Isn't that beautiful? My mother had lost her mind, but you start singing a gospel song, and boy, that peace came over her. And she could hum the words or hum the tune before she couldn't speak. Storms, they don't take God by surprise. Whatever you're going through today, God was not caught off guard. Oh my, I'm surprised, Hannah. No, he's not. He's not surprised at all. Don't you care? I think Jesus answers that. He does care. There's a psalm, and we don't have time for it, but you might make a note next to this passage in Mark. Write down Psalm 107. 107 is, is is a psalm that says, whether you're stuck in a desert, poetically, whether you're stuck in a prison, an addiction, poetically, whether you're stuck in a sickness, whether you're stuck in a storm, because of his steadfast love, he's going to deliver us. Hallelujah. That's a promise I can go to sleep on. I don't know how many of you sleep like a baby, but I sleep like a baby. I don't cry, but you know what I mean. Why? Because when I go to bed, I want to give everything to the Lord. If you have not started that practice, shame on you. If you haven't started that practice, start doing it. And you haven't started that practice, I encourage you to do that. Whatever you're holding on to, give it to Jesus and trust that he's going to take care of it so that you can sleep. And if you're going to dream, ask for dreams that are going to be of him, of victory, of things that are pure and lovely and beautiful and righteous. Look at, upon those things. Pray about that. Number, oh, I have a, a little funny, funny uh, cartoon. Let's, here's a lot of people. Let me read it because the print's pretty small. But here's a guy in front of a telescope and he's got his hands in his pocket and his thought bubble is this. It seems like God is too far away from me. Jesus, don't you care about me? Wake up, wake up. Where are you? Don't you care? And then you go to the next slide. And he says, I can't see anything. He's too far away. Is Jesus really too far away? Jesus was where? In the boat. Bob uh, mentioned something to me uh, yesterday as I was sharing a little bit uh, of the sermon with him yesterday. He goes, you know what's funny is when Paul was being shipwrecked, he didn't have a physical Jesus, but he said, hey, we're all going to be saved. Don't worry about it. And the disciples physically had Jesus, and they're all freaking out and thought they were going to die. That's the power of faith. But it's not just the power of faith. It's the power of faith in Jesus. Are you with me on that? Because if you put your faith in the government, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You put your faith in your spouse, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You put your faith in anything else other than the living, active, creator God, you're going to be disappointed. And he is never too far away from you because he made a promise to you. I will never leave you and I will never turn my back on you. That's what forsake means. I will never get out of the boat. I will always be there to hold your hand. You do not have to worry about anything. You can sleep on a cushion in the midst of a storm that's seismic in activity, and you can sleep soundly. Why? Because I am here with you. That's just incredible. 
Number four is this. Oh, get do the next pat the the phrase on on Second uh, Peter first one and seven. For God has not given us a spirit of what fear, but He has given us a spirit of power and love and self control. God does not want you to be afraid. He wants you to be bold in your faith, knowing that you can see him with your spiritual eyes and you are not walking this path alone. Now, he's going to bring other people into your life to help you, encourage you, and they're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And sometimes you're the hands and feet of Jesus coming along somebody that's that's hurting and you're helping them through the storm, but you're an agent of Jesus. You're an ambassador being for Jesus. But number four is this. It's the last one. Sometimes he quiets the storm. Sometimes. That's the, the, the key there. Because you already know that he always gives you peace. But he doesn't always calm the storm. Isn't that right? Sometimes storms last a day. Sometimes they last a week. Sometimes they last a year. Sometimes they last a lifetime. And you all know some of those things that are in your life that they ain't going away. And yet, peace doesn't mean an absence of conflict. Peace doesn't mean... See, we as Americans think, oh, that's what peace is, absence of conflict. I know what peace is. It's a, it, it means I'm comfortable. That's not what peace is. Peace is that contentedness to know that you're going to be okay because God's got this, right? It doesn't mean the hardship goes away. It doesn't mean that it's going to be comfortable. Some of the most toughest trials in your life are going to be the most uncomfortable trials of your life. And God is doing a work in you and through you to his glory. He's always going to be, give you peace and strength. He offers peace. But peace, again, is held in the hands. No faith. You're going to have fear. If you know faith, K-N-O-W, you're going to know no fear. Isn't that beautiful? So I need to wrap this up. I probably didn't come up with a great ending. I don't have some tear-jerking story. I don't have anything that's going to try to woo you or woe you or impress you with a closing antidote or metaphor because it's this simple and I don't want you to lose it. Jesus is with you in the midst of the storm and you do not have to be afraid. He is powerful and he has all of creation under his control. And the worst thing that can happen to us is that we're transformed and on our way to heaven and the least thing is you're going to be transformed. And that is what God is wanting to do. God is maturing us, isn't he? Through the storms of life. Our flesh says we want to avoid storms. Our spirit says, bring it on. I trust you, God. I trust you, God. That's where we're at today, trusting him. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for today and growing our faith in you and growing our trust in you and our fidelity, our loyalty. Father, I do pray 
that for the storms that are in our life right now that we would ask for the wisdom to understand them so we do not have to go through them the way we're going through them now. Father, continue to mature us and grow us. We have seen you work mightily in our lives. Why would we ever doubt you? Why? We don't know, except for our self-reliance. Break off that self-reliance and prepare us to receive communion before you. As we look at the bread and the juice and realize that the emblems are metaphors, there are symbols of the things that you're doing in us, changing us, that you are the bread of life and that you will always sustain us. And then the cup that represents oh, your incredible love for us, that you would never abandon us in a boat, that you're not that kind. Father, I thank you for this time of communion where we can reflect upon the storm that we're in right now and emptying our hands of it into you, onto you at your feet that we may feel your peace that surpasses understanding. Thank you, Lord, that we can't hold fear and faith in the same hand. We have to choose, and we choose life. We choose faith. We choose the bread. We choose the cup, and we declare you as Lord and Savior and Master of all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In the book of Esther, there was an evil man named Haman, and Haman hated Mordecai, the Jew. He was actually called Mordecai, the Jew. And it looked like Haman was going to get his way. It looked like Haman was going to hang Mordecai. And then at the very last moment, God flipped the script. If you know the, the event. And next thing you know, Haman is being hung on his own gallows. Mordecai never lost faith. I don't want you to lose faith either, no matter what you're going through. God can flip the script in a moment. That's how powerful. Be still! And it can be changed like that. Don't let the world beat you up. Don't let your flesh take advantage over your new creation that you are. Don't give Satan a foothold by entertaining his thoughts. But take every thought captive to Christ and suddenly you'll see a miracle like the disciples saw where God flips the script on the storm and you're through it and you're better for it. And you say, thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for your salvation that only comes through Jesus. We love you and we thank you. May you be glorified in our life this week. We continue to pray for the families that lost loved ones in the tornadoes. We continue to pray for Kevin's family and everybody that was connected to his father. And Father, we praise you and give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.